Hello everyone, I am Jody, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. Um, I've been coming to Two Rivers for a couple of years. My husband is the super hot uh, guitar player that you just saw in worship, and he is definitely my better half. I have two little boys, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, who are currently watching this in their diapers. Corbin and Owen, hello. Am I the only one who has ever just wanted, desperately wanted to know what's in this box right back here? Like, just, I just want to know what's in this box. It's always there. I'm just going to check it out. Like, weird stuff. I have no idea. Oh, my gosh. Fruit snacks. There's fruit snacks and a PSD calendar. You remember school? I remember school. Oh, too soon. Okay, here we go. Oh, my gosh. Fruit snacks. Okay, ready? Ready? Here they come. Oh, my gosh. Corbin. Owen. I think they landed on the train table. Go check. Ah! <laughs> I've always wanted to do that and I also didn't have to put on jeans today with this table which is a bummer because I was on a long streak of no button pants but I'm over it it's okay and I'm glad to be here with you today tonight whenever you decide to stream really because it's all up to you it's so wonderful we are talking about mark 11 right now Jason has been walking us through Mark, and we're going into what a lot of Bibles call the triumphal or the triumphant entry. And I'm here to propose today that perhaps we have misnamed such event, and I'm going to tell you why. Here, here's what I want you to know. We're going to read the text together. If you have a Bible, which most of you probably are just chasing your kids around like I do on Sunday mornings, but if you do have a Bible, um, you can open it. Otherwise, I'll read it for you. We're starting at the very beginning of Mark 11. It says, in my Bible, it says Jesus's triumphant entry. And I'm going to propose today that we rename this to either Jesus's humble entry or the donkey ride. You can, you can underline and box that if you'd like. Um, that's one of Jason's favorite moves. Okay. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there and uh, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. I'm going to try that actually in Old Town sometime. I'm just going to walk up to something and grab it and be like, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Just see if it works. You can try it. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing? Untying that colt. They said what Jesus told them to say and they were permitted to take it. Sweet. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! Woo! So, Jesus came to Jerusalem. He went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. We're going to actually read uh, verses 12 through 14, but not for a little bit. So there's, the, there's what we're talking about. Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he knows what he's coming to do. The disciples, as uh, Jason has pointed out consistently, still haven't got it. They aren't totally sure, even though Jesus has told them, I am going to die. This is what is going to happen. They haven't totally understood it. So what I want to start with, though, is who's in the crowd and 
talk about what they're just saying, like what we just heard them saying. Um, the beautiful thing about the scriptures is we have four different accounts of Jesus's life, the four different gospels. I think it's so wonderful to know that there are different perspectives on what Jesus did when he was here. And I think it's also almost a cautionary tale for us, um, just in case we start to think there's one way to look at, view, or perceive Jesus, the Gospels themselves illustrate to us that that is not the case. I mean, even in um, John's account of this exact thing, he says that Jesus went and untied the donkey. So yeah, John was like 90 when he wrote it, so maybe he had forgotten a few of the details, we don't know, but the reality is it's different. It doesn't mean that it's totally wrong, and I think that's really helpful for us to remember. This is who's in the crowd that we know for sure. So last week, uh, Jason told us about Bartimaeus and how he got his sight back. Um, it says that instantly after Bartimaeus was healed, the man came, he could see and he followed Jesus down the road. So we know Bartimaeus is in the crowd. We know Bartimaeus is one of those people who's in the crowd. In John's account, it says this, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others all about it. So you have this hyped group of people who just saw their friend, brother, loved one come back to life. You can imagine what that was like. They're like telling people about that and Bart's like, I know, look, I can see, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I was dead, y'all, like, oh, one upper. All of the things that are going on in this crowd. There's a big group of people who have been radically impacted by Jesus who are in this crowd and they are singing these things. So I just wanna look at the different things that this crowd is saying that can help us understand why, one, I think we should rename the story, and two, what it actually meant to them. So we're gonna look at this. The first thing, the very first thing they say is my translation, which is New Living Translation that I'm reading from today, says praise God. It also can be um, translated as save now. It's the actual word is Hosanna, which means save now, please save. That is what that word is, means. And that's what they're all saying, like save us, now we need you. There's a desperation in it from the people. The next thing that they say is, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, which is from Psalm 119, which is a song. There is also a line from Psalm 148, praise God in the highest heaven. Woo! And for us, it's just like, yeah, that's a lot of great churchy sounding words and things, but these are actual songs. The people there with any sort of Jewish background would recognize these songs. Now, not everybody in the crowd was Jewish. The Gentiles in the crowd would not have known, but that you know how you're singing with people, a worship song you don't know, and you, and you just start like, and you start singing along. You pick up pretty fast. But the Jewish people in the crowd, these are songs that they would have known and memorized. It'd be like if you started a song like this. Um, I paid my dues. Sing it with me, everyone in the room. Time after time. The beginning of a great queen song and the chorus builds up. We are the champions, my friends. That's what they would be thinking. You hear the first two lines of that song and you hear the whole thing. You hear the whole thing. It's, uh, you know, we're not gonna take it. No, no, we ain't gonna take it. Like those songs, you hear one line. And you hear not only the words of the song, you hear the music of the song, and you hear the heart of the song. Or like, I started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Like that, Drake, that song, the heart of that song, the words of that song, like you, you hear one line and you get the heart and the soul of the whole thing hits you. And like those other songs, like We Are the Champions, We're Not Gonna Take It, Started From the Bottom, that is what the Jewish people 
would be thinking because these are songs of victory. These are songs of come help us. These are songs of praise. Like this is our time. Goonies, this is our time. And that's what they would be thinking. So I don't want to um, cast blame on the crowds for misidentifying what Jesus was actually there to do. I think it makes sense that this is what they were thinking. There's some other places in John and in Matthew. In John, there's another line that says, Hail to the King of Israel, which is a reference to Zephaniah 3.15. And then in Matthew, he says, To fulfill the prophecy, Jesus got on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. That is what Matthew brings out, because Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Mark is not talking to Jewish people. He's, re he's always redefining things. He's he doesn't mention all of the law or any of that, because his audience is not Jewish. But Matthew's was very much so. He wanted to make sure people knew that this is why he rode on a donkey. Now, one of the most interesting things about what Matthew says is the reference to all the other songs. So if you're thinking, what are the rest of the words to those songs? Because we know the words to the songs I said, some of them. This is some of the words of the songs from Psalm 118, Psalm 148, Zephaniah 3, Zechariah 9, that they would have been thinking, the Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people. But I destroyed them with the authority of the Lord. I will deal, deal severely with those who have oppressed you. These are the lyrics that are running through their head when they hear the tiny little version that we get here. Because of the covenant I made sealed with blood, I will defeat your enemies. Y'all, this was a people who were sick and tired of being oppressed and bullied and made slaves, made to be paid taxes, just like modern day in their time just oppression and they were over it and they were tired of it and they see in Jesus a glimpse and a hope of Messiah of the one who was going to come and say you know what Rome you can shove it you know what we're going to take back everything you've taken from us the people you've killed the money you've stolen the way you've degraded us and we are tired of it we're not going to take it we are the champions for crying out loud and you're going to figure that out because here comes our king and they are that is what their hearts cry is They've seen him do things that only Messiah can do. Only Messiah could open the eyes of the blind. And there was a dude that was in a tomb, and he came out of the tomb, and they're dump, dancing, dancing around. Oh, you guys, the, the crowd in the scene was so alive with hope that this was actually going to happen. It was actually going to happen. So we have this. We have these people who've actually experienced and tasted it. They're going crazy. They're hearing these songs of victory and defeat. And I'm, here we come, here we come, here we come. Um, but this is what I think we need to remember. In the, this is in from Zechariah 9 that Matthew has in his gospel. This is what he wrote down. But I need you to know that he left one really important verse out. He left out, he is righteous and victorious. In this whole song, he leaves out something that you would think he would want to include with the heartbeat that was going on, with the hype, everything that was happening. Why would you leave out the fact that he's righteous and victorious? I guess it's probably right here. Like this? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, this is... <laughs> he is righteous and victorious. Why would you leave that out? If you're Matthew and that's what you're trying to convey, why would you leave that line out? And I think he left it out on purpose because I think we are missing the point of the donkey. 
And I think Matthew, in hindsight, knew that. Um, I really, really think that we, too, really have a hard time always letting Jesus be who he is, how he wants to be it. Jesus is king. He is conquering king. He is going to set all things right. That is who he is, and he's the suffering servant. He will wipe away every tear. He can heal. He has healed. He will heal. But he gets to be who he is, how he wants to be him. And I think in all of this hype, all this stuff is going on. We're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, all this is happening. There's a lot of buzz going on around Jesus. And Mark's gospel, I learned this week, really illustrates how his fame was one of the most detrimental aspects of his ministry. They did not have crowd control. They did not know how to have like filed in line. This is how we're gonna do this orderly. Like when his reputation of being a miracle worker got around, people overwhelmed them so much so that he had to retreat and get away. It actually stopped him from being able to minister in the way he wanted to. And that was exactly why the demons kept saying, when he would say, be quiet. When he would, demons would say like, you're the son of God. You are Jesus the Messiah. He'd be like, shut your mouth because they weren't trying to help him, obviously. They were trying to swamp him and drown him in fame because we know the power of crowds. And for us in America, fame means something different. Like we think, oh yeah, good, be famous. Yeah, like large crowds, huge stadiums. Remember crowds? What's a crowd, mom? We'll have to explain that to your kids later. People used to get together in big groups and it was, it's, that's a good thing because we have this like Western, we like idolize fame, we want all this stuff, but that is not the same. As back then it was not a good thing that this fame was following him and Jesus saw it start he knew he's like I just raised a dude from the dead which is pretty radical and that is not gonna stay quiet because these guys are following me also and I got this dude seeing next to me I see this I see what's happening I they are not wrong in assuming that's who I am I he, he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps and he's like they're not wrong but it's not who I am right now. It is not for them now, and this is going to break their hearts because I know what they want me to do, but it's not what I'm gonna do. And so he gets on a donkey. And so he humbles himself. And so he does the best he can to show them, yes, I am your king, but first I will be your suffering servant and so he rides in on a donkey. A donkey is a stark contrast. It's a stark contrast to a war horse, like a king coming in, bop, 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 war horse, war horses that would trample people, war horses that are fast, war horses that are dangerous to approach, totally different than a donkey, like that had never been ridden before. So who knows, That's you know that thing's not going straight. You know that, Kirby, you know that thing's not walking straight, okay. Good to have you guys all here today. Christy, thank you for that, amen. Um, you guys, is not walking straight, nor is it comfortable, nor is it going consistently. I'm just like, start, stop, start, stop. But this is what that donkey represents. It goes slow, it's lower to the ground, it's approachable. Jesus wants people to know that it's approachable and he's bringing peace. I know you guys want me to bring victory but what you actually need is peace. And that's what I'm gonna do. And you can keep up with me. A kid can keep up with a donkey. Like, burp, burp, stop, start. Burp. It's like, if you ever try to go on a walk with a two-year-old, it's like you have to stop every four seconds to look at some kind of bug, and then they're taking off sprinting across the street without looking. And then you're like, can you just 
calm down. That is what this ride was probably like, but everyone could keep up. In verse eight, it says they're laying down garments and leafy branches, palms, different translations or different things. Again, what this represents, palms and leafy branches in that day, like later on with the Maccabean revolt where there was this huge overthrow, the only little kind of spark of victory that the Jewish people had was then the palm branch, the leafy branches became a national symbol. It's an equivalent of a national flag for us today. The stuff that they printed had the palm branches on it. It was like, it was like they were waving their country's flag to him. That is what that represents. And what we see here is that again, they misunderstood him as a national liberator. He did not come. I think Jesus probably was crying because he's like, oh, if only they knew how much more I was going to do. Is that all you want? Is that really all you want? I actually have something not just for you for now. I have something for everyone forever, which is way bigger. And we so often get into our circumstances. I mean, I, the circumstances that we all are in all have their own version of hard right now. And we get in them, and we need Jesus to be something very specific, and he wants to be, and he is, and he is with us, and he is so with us. He's in the very cells of our being. We are held together by him. He is with us. And yet he often is like, is that all? Is that all that you want? Because I have so much more for you. And he's about to, and this is all happening right before. He is about to, and Jason's going to talk about this next week. He's about to go into the temple and get angry. And all of the eights in the world love this verse. This, they're like, look, see, he gets mad. I can be mad. Jesus got mad. He flipped the tables. He's going to talk about that. But one of the reasons, one, there's a, many reasons that he gets upset. One of the reasons is because they were doing, they were selling and trading for sacrifices and buying and selling of things in the Gentiles' place of worship. In the outer courts, the only place the Gentiles could worship was being taken up. And he was like, no, you cannot take the space of, I am here for everyone. Get out of here. Make space. Everyone has access to me, and I am not okay with you taking the limited access they already have and taking it up for your own use. That's one of the reasons he was mad when he goes into the temple. He's about to get upset about that. Again, I think Jesus rides in on a donkey trying to communicate how he wants to be who he is. He wants everyone and you and me to know today that you have access to him. This is a pretty big deal. And this is one of the ways I had um, my friend. I think he's my friend because I met him once. But this guy, Dale Bruner, says this. He came on a donkey so that the poorest of his subjects might have access to him. No matter who you are, you have access to me. Looking at Jesus as a national liberator is dangerous because it puts a lot of privilege at play. It puts a lot of like agenda at play. It says, hey, I get to decide what nation and when and how. And Jesus is trying to say kindly but strongly over and over again, you do not get to, you do not get to determine how I get to be who I am when everything in him in the garden wanted to do it a different way. Don't you think he didn't want it to go this way too? Of course, we see that in the garden. But he wanted his poorest of subjects to know that they have access to him. I didn't come on a war horse to oppress. We're not going to fight oppression with oppression. I'm not gonna beat the Romans by oppressing them the way you were oppressed. You do not fight evil with evil, but you overcome evil with good. And he wanted them to know that. 
The, the donkey is not here to conquer your problems. The donkey represents, I'm here to work alongside you and carry your burdens. Yes, I know you want me to come here and squash everything that you think is wrong. I know you want me to heal this person. I want that person to be sick. I know you want to save my business. I know you want to be with and save my marriage. I know you want to be like, oh, make my kids turn back to you. I want you to do these things. And he doesn't always come in and do that, but he does say, I will work alongside you and carry your burdens with you because all people have access to me. Over and over again, Jesus had told his people, I'm going to have to die. And they hadn't heard him. He had told them he wasn't just here for them. We all get this in our lives, like looking at Jesus through our lens, through our perspective, and our perspectives aren't wrong, but they're not complete. They're not wrong, but they are not complete because you know who else was in the crowd, y'all? Yes, Lazarus and his whole family, and yes, Bartimaeus, but there were some people in the crowd who were still blind. And there were some people in the crowd who had just buried a loved one the week before. And yet Jairus had his daughter on his, probably on his shoulders so she could see him again. But there was a mom crying because her daughter wasn't there. The crowd was full of both hand. And we have to be both hand people right now. So was Jesus a triumphant king? Yes, but that's not what he was right now. He was a humble servant riding on a donkey, bearing the burdens and pain of the people and about to sacrifice himself for them and invite us into the same. And we, I'm, I, this, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. If you have a traditional Western American theology perspective, which if you grew up in the Western evangelical church, you do. Um, white, let me clarify that too. White evangelical American church. We have a hard time letting go of victorious Jesus. We paint everything through that lens, and I think that's why a lot of our subheadings are labeled the triumphal entry, because that's our perspective. And it's not not true, but it's not complete. And I think that's why Matthew left that verse out. I think they would have noticed that when they were reading it, and I think they would have understood the donkey in a way that we don't. And looking back, they can see it. So what I want you to think about are two things. One, I want you to know that you have access to him. You have access to him right now, whether you have no time to yourself or too much time to yourself. Whether you are craving a hug so badly or you're so desperately wanting your kids to stop touching you all the time. Whether you have less money than you used to or this has caused you to have no money at all. All of the different things that we are in, all of our different hearts that we are in right now. There are some of you who are actually feeling guilty that you've actually loved not having to get your kids dressed and out the door on a Sunday morning and you get to just watch church at your leisure and you feel bad about that, but you actually enjoy having more than one day a week that you get to sleep in without somewhere to go. That's okay. Some of you can't wait till we're back together again and I think that's okay too. If anybody gets to be both and people, it's us. And that is a lot to think about. If you think about what access to Jesus looks like to you, I want you to ask yourself this question, maybe a question that the disciples asked themselves later. He told us, he had told us, he had told us, he had told us. We didn't hear him and that's okay. Is there something Jesus is telling you right now? 
Is there something that he has been telling you? And that somehow this disruption, the chaos of what has happened has somewhat um, helped you see more clearly what he has been telling you. What is Jesus telling you that he has told you and wants you to hear about who he is? That he wants to come in and he wants to be something for you, but he wants you to know that he gets to determine how he gets to be Jesus in your life. He gets to make the call on what it means for him to be your victorious king or your suffering servant. That is his call to make, but you have access to him as he is all the time. He rides in a donkey here. He's coming back on a white horse. And my Capernaum friends and I, this is sign language for horse. We talk about how he's coming back on a white horse. And this is what that means. And we dance and we sign this and we know that he's coming back to set all things right. But at any moment, whether he's on a donkey or on a horse, you have access to him, but we've got to let him be Lord. He's the one in charge and he gets to determine that. You have access, but how he gets to be Jesus to you is up to him. What is he even saying to you that you need to remember? We're going to go to the last three verses of this. It's uh, verses 12 through 14. It says, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Jesus sees a tree. It says it's not the right season. Doesn't seem to matter to Jesus. He is just getting ready or just has been in the temple. He went to the temple the night before and then they left and came back. And what he saw in the temple was the appearance of spirituality, the appearance of faithfulness, the appearance of people doing the right things. In the same way, he sees a tree with the appearance of fruit-bearing potential. And he goes up to the tree. He sees no fruit. He goes into the temple. He sees no real faith. He is disturbed by that. And he's like, I'm tired of people showing me how good they are and, I, and not letting me be their God. And I desperately want them to let me be their God. In the same way that this fruit tree should have fruit on it, and I'm hungry, and I want some, and it's, I'm done with it. You know what? Fruit tree, you're dead. I'm done with it. And just when he goes into the temple, he's, he is saying, this temple actually won't actually be standing. He says in Matthew, he talks about how this temple won't be standing. No stone will be left. I'm becoming the temple. I am now the temple. I am God. I will be with you. And then we get to have access to him because of that. It doesn't matter Gentile, Jew, slave, free, male, female. The radical inclusivity of God is hard for us to imagine. If we spend all of our time wondering who's in and who's out, we're asking the wrong question. Because what we see on the donkey entry, what we see on the humble entry, is that Jesus does everything he can to, yes, I am king, but I want you to know that everyone has access to me. Not just Jews, not just people who can walk, not just people who can see, not just people who are old. Kids have access to me. We all have access to him. We get to all let him be who he wants to be, how he wants to be it to us, which is such good news. It is such good news. So as you think about that, as you think about your circumstances, as you think about what you need Jesus to be, I want us to be a people, I want to be a person who doesn't think I have all the answers, 
who doesn't think I get to know who's in and who's out, who doesn't get to look at Jesus and think this is the way that it is, but understands that my perspective is okay, but it's limited. Just like we have four Gospels that give us all the colorful accounts of Jesus' life, we also need each other to fill in the gaps of our limited perspectives. And when we start doing that, we will see that more and more people will feel radically included. Jesus, how am I limiting my perspective of who you are? And how can I invite you to expand it so that I am a person who makes all people feel welcomed by him? All people, whether we're in a building together or not, whether we're in a cul-de-sac with our neighbors or not, whether we're in an office space or not. I told my friend Andrew Spada, some of you guys know him, he plays music here at Two Rivers, um, about an analogy that popped into my head. I think it was from God because I wasn't, it's, it was a good one. That's why I think it was from God. But a lot of times we try to hold our problems underwater like beach balls, like my insecurity, my pride, uh, my lust, my arrogance, my addiction. We try to hold those things underwater like beach balls. And every once in a while there's too many and we can't do it and it's so much work and it's so hard and we don't get to enjoy the pool because we're too busy holding the beach balls down. Well, this experience for us in 2020 has drained the water out of the pools. The water is gone. The distractions that kept us from looking and asking the hard questions are gone. New chaos has been introduced, but we all have these beach balls that we're looking at and we can come out of this and through this and into it with each other, not ashamed of what they are and asking for help and letting Jesus be who he wants to be, how he wants to be that for us and come out of this free even more free than we were. That is all I have today, and it is the most unusual and weird thing to end a sermon on a camera. But I am grateful uh, to be in a part of this community, um, and I think you should cross out triumph in your Bible and write donkey. Amen. Do I pray? Should I pray? I'm going to pray. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Jason. Jesus, <laughs> praying is a great way to end a sermon. Um, Lord, I want um, you to have access to me, and I'm grateful that I have access to you, and I pray that for my friends, um, that today, in, in a moment, in a, whether it's a, a longer moment than you want of silence or not long enough, based on our circumstances, Lord, that you would intersect that and show us what are the beach balls, who do we want you to be, and how can we surrender that to you and let you be who you want to be to us in the way you want to. Thank you for the fact that you gave access to all. Um, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.